Welcome to the Get More Success Show. He's a guy who never measured a man's success by the size of his wife. Uh, let's get ready to rumble! It's showtime. 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 It's showtime. Showtime! And now, here is your host, Warwick Merry. Hi everyone and welcome to the Get More Success Show. I'm thrilled today to be talking to the head handwriter, the the fabulous fonter of the Australian type foundry, Wayne Thompson. Wayne, welcome to the show. Hi Warwick. Hey, now you run the Australian type foundry. Tell tell me what is that? Like when I say well here foundry, I think iron and smashing and bashing and stuff, yeah. but I have a feeling it's a little different. No, foundries, are, yeah, it is a lot different. Foundry is a traditional name for um, uh, type, as in type faces that were made of metal in um, days gone by before the computer age came along. Uh, so uh, the word foundry in type circles carries a sense of tradition and a sense of um, quality to it. Although having said that, because my name includes the word foundry, I often get calls from people asking for, you know, <laughs> custom forged metal products and fences and things like that. So, which is quite amusing sometimes. Uh, now, the question I ask nearly all of my guests is, how do you define success? So, in your life and in what you do, how would you define success? Uh, well, I define success as um, basically being in control. Um, let, let me give an example. My, my wife and I, um, we, we live in Newcastle and we live not far from the beach. Um, and the fact that I'm self-employed and the fact that she's self-employed um, it gives us the opportunity to, um, we, like, we often love to go to the beach and we go for a swim or, you know, sit there drinking coffee or, you know, just sometimes we have our, we call them production meetings down there. Um, but when you live near the beach, you kind of have the opportunity to do that when the weather's good and the beach conditions are good and when the weather's poor. Um, you know, whereas if you, you know, if you were a, um, an employee and you have to wait till the weekend or whatever, you know, you don't have that flexibility. So I suppose I'd define success as the ability to um, have control over what happens in my day um, at all times and every time. So if I make a wrong decision, well, it's my decision, um, as opposed to, you know, being frustrated by the politics of someone higher up the chain in your organisation or something like that. So for me, success is the fact that um, I, I have absolute control over my destiny. Excellent. So, That's what I would say. So tell me a little bit about your destiny. Like you, you currently help create fonts, and some of your clients include Optus, McDonald's, Holden, Honda, ICC World Cups, like some massive names. So how did you get to, to that position? Because you used to be a corporate employee, didn't you? I did. I was a corporate employee for more decades. Um, I was a graphic designer and an art director. Uh, and I became frustrated at the... Um, uh, the inability to have creative control over my work because in an agency environment there's you know a lot of people who's um rightly so whose fingers are in the the creative pie who's you know have a vested interest in what the work that goes out of that agency looks like and appears like um so you know i wasn't always the one that was fully in control of that um uh, it was a combination of that and being really interested in in the specifics of type and typography and fonts um so i slowly worked myself over a period of years while I was still an employee into a position where I could eventually become self-employed and specialise in typography alone. So what makes 
a good font. Like, you know, for the average punter like me, it's we get a drop-down list in whatever software package we're looking at and we'll go, oh, that looks good. Um, personally, I don't like serifs, which are the little wiggly bits on the, mm-hmm. the, the end. But, you know, if you open nearly any book, they all have serifs because apparently they're easy to read. Da, da, da. So what makes a good font? Uh, well, first and foremost, it's legibility, the ability to read it. Um, if a font has uh, any features in it that might distract the reader in mid-sentence, then it um, it takes the reader out of that subconscious zone of um, comprehension, you might say, and distracts them. So I don't know if you've ever had that experience where there's some kind of printing error and you're halfway through a paragraph and the font suddenly changes. And it's a kind of a jarring experience and it's it takes you out of that subconscious zone you need to be in to read. Uh, so my aim, first and foremost, is legibility. Um, another thing that makes a good font is what I would call tone of voice. Uh, if a font has um, a, a particular tone of voice that, and I, I think pretty much everybody recognises subtle differences in tone of voice in letters, and I, this is one of the things that, that I'm, makes me so fascinated in them. Um, tone of voice is, is, I think, ultra important, and it's a particularly difficult thing to nail down when you're designing one. It's there's a certain amount of um, what's well, very difficult to predict how other people will perceive something you design. Uh, so tone of voice is pretty hard to nail down. Right. So you and I talk, were talking before. So for Optus, the little speaky yes that's everywhere—that's something that that you've created. That's yes. that appears to me to be a less formal because it's it's got a bit more curve in it so what was the what was the intent behind that like in terms of what's the i I suppose is that character is that is that right what is the character of the font or the character the message you're trying to get across yeah i think so i think so the the intent was to have an informal tone of voice um for a you know a telecommunications um a, a carrier like optus um the 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 tone of their whole campaign is quite informal and very friendly and um, they're trying to, um, I'd imagine, reduce the amount of corporateness in it so that customers are less likely to perceive them as a big corporate giant and more likely to perceive them as someone who understands their um, their needs and, and, and as a consumer. Um, so the word yes has been being a positive affirmation in only three letters, but also they wanted to present it. And you'll see it's in a speech bubble with a little speech bubble arrow on the bottom corner um when when i went through that process of designing that yes with the agency um we well, how many options did we do it must have been 13 or 14 separate um tiny minor variations of the word yes the way that the letters joined together the way that letters related to each other their size relationship to each other all of that sort of stuff. Right. So, yeah, t- the tone of voice in that one is meant to be informal. And um, I think that's a good example of the tone we were talking about a minute ago. Yeah, yeah. So how mm. long does it, like, just we look at the billboard or the signage and you see the little yes bubble. And I suppose, you know, one of the measures of success of how good it is for you is for them to actually not notice it. You know, in that hole, they just absorb it versus going, wow, look at that little thing. So... How much effort does it take to create like 13 different options of which you want them to not actually notice but just sort of subconsciously absorb? Um, well, that particular yes um, probably went over a period of a couple of weeks, I'd suppose, yeah. but it's that's not a couple of weeks of solid work. It's, you know, I'd do a couple and then I'd send them through by email and I might wait a day or two days and 
Um, I can't count the number of hours. It's it, There might have been, I don't know, 10 or 20 hours or something involved in right. just that, yes, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where do you come up with your ideas? Like, you know, I've seen, and, and I'm going to put a link to your website uh, on the show notes so people can go and have a look at some of the different fonts. Like the one you've done for the ICC World Cup has a very Indian, Bollywoody kind of feel. Um, the how yes, very does. un McDonald's is a is a little bit casual, but still has that sort of McDonald's kind of vibe to it. So where do you get these ideas from? How how do you look at a blank slate and then go right a new font that no one's ever done before? <laughs> well, it's it's probably a common misconception that um, you you look at a blank page and go I'm going to come up with the font today because that's not really how the process generally works. Even though it's possible to do that, and I have done, done that. Um, it's more so the font normally comes about because it answers a um, a particular need or a need for a particular type of communication. Uh, so in, in the case of the Cricket World Cup one, I worked closely with the um, uh, the agency uh, that asked me to create that font. Um, and their brief to me said that, because um, uh, that particular Cricket World Cup was held in the subcontinent, uh, their brief to me was we're speaking primarily to an English-speaking audience. Um, but we wanted the font to have a flavour of um, kind of pan-Asian sort of subcontinental kind of... So it it had a, a slightly, I suppose, Indian-ish um, look to it, even though there wasn't any um, actual Indian language characters in the typeface. Um, so it was it was an answer to a need. It was a um, uh, an answer to a specific brief. Um, so I think most of the fonts, they're not... It's it's not so much a creative process as a problem solving process. I think right. would probably be a better okay. better way to put it. So, what letters give you the most trouble when you're trying to create fonts? Because sometimes I'll see some fonts, and the G is a bit weird because you've got a bit of a twist and mm. stuff. And are there any particular letters yeah. that you like? Everything's great, but it's the G and the Y, or you know. Oh yeah! Don't get me started. Don't get me started. <laughs> Uh, there are um, several, uh, depending on the type of font that I'm doing, but I often have trouble with the number eight, right. um, trying to avoid that kind of snowman-y sort of look with a, you know, two circles <laughs> stacked on top of each other. Um, I, I often have trouble with X. You would think that X is just two diagonal yeah, two strokes. Lines, that just sort of, yeah, but no, it's often not. Often those diagonal lines don't cross over in a direct manner and... There's all sorts of um, issues of um, negative space and balance and, um, you know, rhythm and all of that sort of thing. Uh, and sometimes the simplest ones, I don't know, O, you'd think O would just be a circle, but no, nah, you've got to get those curves just right. Because uh, the eye can pick up when thing. they're when it's not symmetrical and when it's, um, you know, there'll be something you'll look at it and just like, oh, it's not quite right. And sometimes you want that and other times you like, as you said before, that's a barrier. They'll be reading along and go, bang, oh, that O looks funny. Well, yeah, most of the um, serif fonts, that, like the ones you mentioned earlier on, that uh, whenever you pick up a book, there's almost no symmetry in any of those letters anywhere. Um, for instance, if you were to take a lowercase o, uh, imagine that it was created by a quill pen with a kind of a broad nib on the tip. Yeah. So as you go around, a, a right-handed person, like a monk in a monastery, for instance, would have um, contacted that nib on the page at kind of a 45 degree angle and that's why the O has kind of got two thin points that are sort of top left and bottom right, okay. if you know what I mean, and yeah. two thick points which are top right and bottom left. So the, it's meant to have visual rhythm and most people I think subconsciously pick up that it has a, a calligraphic kind of basis to it. Yeah. Um, but there are fonts like sans serif fonts that, have, um, that are like based on pure geometry 
but even those are, are really complete, like they're really perfect circles or perfect triangles or perfect squares that are, that they're made out of because adjustments have to be made for um, optics. And there's all sorts of weird optical things that go on in fonts. And as you um, as you learn more about them, you learn to compensate for those optical things so that they become more rhythmic and more legible. So are there any fonts that you just hate to look at? Like I know Comic Sans gets bagged a lot. And maybe that 80s computer font that was out there. Like, are there any fonts that you just go, no, I can't believe someone created that? Um, I, look, I don't think it would be fair for me to say that. Now, I, I, I'm not anti-Comic Sans at all. Um, I understand why that everybody hates it, because it just gets um, misused. It's, it gets used for intentions that weren't part of it, what it was intended to be. Um, for instance, used in corporate documents when it was meant to be, you know, speech. It's instance. almost like I think of it as the Simpsons. It is that that funny, casual laughing it is kind of thing. Of, yeah. So when you have mm. this formal business memo come out in Comic Sans or or a heading on a document, you're just like, what? Yeah. Or as I saw it once, a warning, a big yellow warning on a railway platform that said, "Don't step beyond the yellow line." In the, it just in makes Comic you Sans, want to. Which, I don't know. Yeah, it just was wrong, wrong, or wrong. Um, but I do see fonts that I just dislike. Um, but one of the great pleasures of what I do is when I see one of those fonts that I've always hated, and then sometimes you'll see it used by someone in a way that's new and creative and different, and in keeping with its um, uh, its its intention or in some kind of new way that you never would have expected. And, and I find that like really pleasurable when that happens. Right. What about a favourite font? Do you have one that you just go, oh man, I just love this and I can use it forever? Um, yeah, probably um, there's a font called Avant Garde, um, which was designed by uh, an American in the 60s and 70s, a guy named Herb Lubalin, um, which I've just always loved. It's based on simple, pure geometric shapes, but, it, but it's full of fantastic design features that help to you know, fix up the quirks and things for legibility that I mentioned before. Right. Um, I've always been a big, big admirer of that. Um, and I also have pretty much a less is more kind of sensibility. So um, all this, the clean, crisp sans serifs um, I particularly like, particularly the ones that come out of Europe. Right, cool. So meanwhile, mm. everyone who's listening goes, right, quick, avant-garde, let's go to the to Google. Or let's, what does it actually <laughs> yeah, look like? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm not likely to quote fonts that are from the, um, I, I don't know, the Windows um, font <laughs> menu, for instance, because it's not a zone that I inhabit. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. So, uh, so we've talked about um, fonts, and you were talking about how the monks would write it with a quill pen and stuff. So, you actually also yep. run a, a workshop, which is the hand. What's it called? What's your workshop? Uh, type by hand. Oh yes, yes, right by hand. Um, uh, no, no, sorry, it was type by hand. Is that right? Yeah, type by hand. Type by hand. Yeah. Mm. Um. So, how did that come about? Uh, well, it, it came about because um, I. Well, I kind of had the opportunity to run a workshop because quite a few people kept asking me about um, creating um, type by hand. So when I, I, I suppose I just want to try and define the difference between a font and hand lettering for a moment. Because mm. um, a, a lot of your listeners might be a little bit confused about the difference. But a font is something that you would type on your keyboard. It's built into the computer. Um, the full character set is there and every time you type an A for instance that A comes out exactly the same way because it's a digital outline. Um, hand lettering is different, hand lettering is, um, uh, the, well the point of hand lettering is that you can customise the shape of the letters and the way words relate to each other to suit 
the purpose that you're you're doing, and that purpose might be a, a, a logo or a brand or a or a banner or something specific to a time and place or a particular purpose. Um, I suppose a good example might be the word Woolloomooloo, suburb of Sydney, Woolloomooloo. And um, if I was to type that out in a font on a computer, particularly if I was to use a, a handwriting font, a font that had like emulated handwriting, it's got eight O's in it and each O looks the same. And most people would look at that and go, okay, well, there's, you know, because of the repetition, it, it looks um, computer generated. Uh, so I might use a hand-lettered solution there so that I could make each of those O's a little bit different or join them in a slightly different way and um, relate the letters to each other in a slightly different kind of cursive joining manner. Um, so that would be the difference between a font and hand-lettering. To get back to the workshops, I discovered... <coughs> Pardon me. <coughs> I discovered some years ago that um, the, let's call them the digital natives, the generation of young people that they call the digital natives, there's lots of really fantastic young designers that are coming up through the, um, the tertiary courses. But the digital native generation starts on computer from a young age and works on computer and generates their artwork and their creative stuff on computers. And um, a lot of them didn't have much... Uh, much connection between holding a, a writing tool or an art tool in their hand and paper. And so I, I started to discover this more and more. So I thought, well, I've got some of those skills from the olden days. Um, it even pains me a little bit to call them the olden days now. <laughs> it shows how old I'm getting. Uh, but I, I thought some of the youngies might like to, you know, have a bit of a go at this and just kind of it would help to inform the, the reasoning behind their designs and things like that. So I, here in Newcastle, where I live, I just I put a workshop on. Um, I found a little local venue, and I just thought it would be a quirky little thing I'd do on the side. Um, but it sold out within, I think, an hour. Um, wow. And then I put a second one on, and it sold out within an hour. And I kept putting these workshops on. Um, I think they were evening ones to start with, and I ended up with about five of them in a row, and they all sold out. And I thought, well, okay, maybe there's something in this. Yeah. Um, so I started to move further afield, and I started with another workshop in Sydney, and and since then, I've been doing them all over the country in every capital city and, and places like Canberra as well. And New Zealand as well, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're very, they seem to be very popular. There seems to be a real thirst out there, particularly at the moment, um, you know, in the midst of the, um, the return to handmade kind of aesthetic that's going on generally in society at the moment. Um, it does seem to be a real popularity for them. I think, I think the digital age is... Um, I think people really want to get back to a connection to making things by hand, and I think that's where the popularity of it comes from. There must be something gratifying, because I've seen some of the results that you've posted on social media, and there's just some amazing things that people are creating. Um, so there must be very gratifying to be doing this by hand, using the different, um, I'm going to say ink, but you don't always use ink, do you? Um, no, sometimes I use things like instant coffee, for instance. <laughs> um, that came about literally because I was testing something out on my desk one day and I dipped my pen instead of, in, instead of in the ink pot, I just absentmindedly dipped it in my <laughs> cup of coffee. And uh, it was black coffee. And um, the uh, the coffee on the paper had this lovely kind of sepia tone sort yeah. of strange quality that, you know, I wasn't expecting. And so, yeah, in my workshops, I, I kind of use that as a way of showing to um, – my students that you don't have to assume that the tools that are commonly known are the ones you have to be stuck to. And yeah. sometimes we'll pick up sticks off the ground and drag them across a piece of paper just to kind of see what kind of mark it makes. 
Um, we, I use all sorts of tools that aren't designed for hand lettering and just to drag any kind of thing across a piece of paper and see what, what comes out. So what's yeah. the weirdest, wonderfulest thing you've ever used as sort of a, a brush? Oh, as a brush. Um, I've, I've been known to um, use like a, a, a branch of a tree, but a small branch of a tree to see if I could get a brushy kind of lining effect. Yeah. Um, it didn't work so well. <laughs> uh, probably more so that it's more so that the different surfaces that I, that I um, attempt to draw on rather than the different sort of tools. Right. Um, a tool still has to be small enough to hold in your hand and yeah, you still yeah. have to be able to apply some pressure, which the tree branch didn't work too well in that. I didn't have much control. Um, but I do remember designing a font where um, I used um, blotting paper or black paper towel or hand towel. Yeah. Um, you know, that ultra-absorbent stuff, and I dragged some ink across it, and the, the kind of point was that, um, that I had absolutely no control much over what came out. Ended up with this strange kind of blobby, psychotic-looking font um, that I ended up publishing, actually. It worked quite well. Oh, fantastic. So mm. um, I know one of the challenges that you do in your workshop is that, uh, the, is it, I'm not sure the correct term, the sick bag challenge, is that what you call it? Oh no, that's not something of mine. No, that's um that was started by um a, a fantastic Australian typographer from Sydney named Gemma O'Brien. Right. Uh, and she um she tells the story about being bored while on a flight, and so she picked up the sick bag and thought, well, this is blank. I could draw on this, and I think she um just wrote the words "fully sick" on it, um, <laughs> and then Instagrammed it, and it, and it kind of took off and became a thing. So she referred to it as the spew bag challenge, and the idea was that anyone around the around the world could sort of draw something on a, a sick bag on a plane that had some kind of pun based, some kind of vomit based pun in it uh, and sort of Instagram it with a particular hashtag. So I, I contributed a few, um, but yeah, there's people from all over the world. Have done so that. so what, what is the hashtag? So people can go and have a look at some of the, the different entries. Uh, it's hashtag spew bag challenge. Spew bag challenge. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. So go, go and check out some of those. Cause again, I've really seen some of those and they're really good. Like, there, yeah. it's not just someone with a pen going. Oh, yeah, here we go. There's, there's the artistry is is fantastic. Yeah. So yeah. the you're just quickly heading back to the workshop for a sec. Who are the kind of people that come along to to that workshop? Are they just people who already have a lot of graphic design talent, or is it just random punters who want to just do a little bit? Or what sort of cross section of the community are coming along? To? Um. Yeah, it's generally not random random punters. There are I do get a few um, people who aren't involved in the graphic design industry in some way, but most of my um, workshop participants are um, graphic designers who've recently graduated. Maybe they're in the first five years or so of their career, and they um, have discovered the need to learn more about the handmade nature of type, so that they can. Um, they're looking for tools in their toolbox to help them produce work that's less computer generated in its appearance. Yeah. Um, one of the great difficulties of computer-based graphic design is keeping the computer-made look out of it and getting some humanity back into it. And it's something that's you know takes a lot of time and effort and experience to learn how to do. So, hand lettering and then you know scanning and building that into your digital work is a good way of doing that. Um, I also get a lot of graphic design students who come along. I get a lot of people interested in um, calligraphy. Uh, and I also get a proportion of people who are sort of second career people. Um, you might call them mature age students or people who've, you know, been in some other career for some time and want to redirect and want to retrain. Yeah. That's a good cross-section. Yeah, cool. Now, hmm. when I first met you, 
It had absolutely nothing to do with handwriting and nothing to do with <laughs> calligraphy. It was all about music because you're a bit yeah. of a muso. You're in a, at least one group that I know of and I, you perform all around the place. Uh, so much so that I hear you've actually also performed at a typography conference. You had a keynote and brought your guitar out and ripped into it. So tell me a little bit about your yeah. musical background. And I'd love to hear the uh, well, story about the background. conference where you're, you're playing music at that. Yeah, well, well, my musical background really isn't one. I was always just a bedroom guitar player. Um, but around, um, oh, I think it was probably around the 2004 mark, I was playing soccer in the park one day uh, and I came across a young fellow by the name of Clark Gormley, who is now the other half of my band, Nerds and Music. Um, and I overheard him saying to some of the other people whom I didn't know, he said, oh, I'm having an album launch on the weekend. Would you like to come? And And I sort of went, I was intrigued by this and I thought, you don't look like an album launch kind of guy to me. You don't look like a muso at all. And uh, so I just went and, st and started chatting to him about it. And um, and he said, oh, no, I, I'm, I'm a poet, but I sometimes turn those poems into songs on guitar. And so I kind of got to know him through soccer and, you know, through going to a few of his gigs and things. And um, eventually we formed a band together, um, a four-piece kind of a folk music band, which eventually became the two of us as a kind of a folk, we call ourselves a folk comedy duo. We, we kind of refer to ourselves as um, like Flight of the Concords, but with less humour. <laughs> <coughs> Pardon me. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I, I've kind of been playing in that duo for, I think it's about seven or eight years now. And, you know, we're not, um, we're not like international travellers or we, we just do a few uh, kind of, I suppose this kind of gets back to the definition of success. I've never had any ambition for my um, band to be internationally successful or anything like that. It's it's a, it's a fun thing that we do as a creative outlet. Yeah. And to me, the ability to do that is part of that definition yeah. of success. Um, in reference to the, the typography conference, well, I got asked to speak in Melbourne in 2010 at a, a conference. Um, it wasn't a typography conference, more so a design conference, and I was there as a typeface designer and talking about my, my typeface work. But I realised a few weeks beforehand that I was the, in a day of, I think, 20 speakers, I was about number 11 or 12 or something like that, and it was in Melbourne in winter, and having been to those conferences, I know you go inside and it's warm and cosy and the lights go down and you get drowsy, and I thought, I, I'm going to need some kind of gimmick here or something to, to stand me up from the other speakers. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've been to those things. The speakers can have fantastic work and be really inspiring, but, you know, speaker after speaker, you can still... Oh, the brain <laughs> it's easy just to can't use handle the Yeah, so I just thought to myself, well, what can I do to sort of be a bit different or to, to mix it up a bit? Uh, and I thought, oh, well, I'll write a song about fonts, the world's first song about fonts, uh, and I'll just pick up my guitar in the middle of my 20-minute slide and just I just sang this song about fonts. And um, In fact... When I got on stage, I wasn't prepared for. I knew the crowd was big, but I didn't realise it was like two and a half thousand people or something. And fantastic! It was just so big, and I was so nervous, and I almost piped out of the song at, at the last second. But something in my head that you know said, "Look, you only get one chance to do this." And I thought, even if I totally stuff it up, at least it'll be memorable. So yeah, I pulled my guitar out and I sang this song, and I did stuff it up in a couple of places. But you know, those kind of small stuff ups yeah, that yeah, people yeah. don't tend to notice too much, and. Uh, yeah, and then for the next couple of days of the conference, I was just heaps of people just came up to me and said, oh, "I really enjoyed your song, man." And um, and I said, "Oh, thanks." And you know, eventually I got to the point where I thought, "Did you listen to the rest of it?" <laughs> I just wanted you to wake up. I didn't want you to focus on the song. 
Uh, yeah, no, it went really well. Instant really rock well. star celebrity status. Yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> it's online. You, you want to go and look for it, you can find it online. Oh, all right, great. Oh, yeah, I'll put I'll put the link in the show notes so people can go and have a listen to it. That'd be fantastic. Um, and you know, I've got I've got your um, your nerds and music album and and nerds nerds and music nerds and words. Yes, nerds and music. Nerds and music, and um, I I really love the the geez, I like your grass. That's one of my favourite songs. It's a cracker. <laughs> well, it, it reminds me I need to mow at the moment. Actually, I'm looking out of my office window. <laughs> 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 So, you know, obviously you've got a lot of stuff going on with, you know, your your successful music career as you've defined success, like having fun with friends and entertaining whomever. Your, 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 the Australian Type Foundry, obviously the work that you're doing on a corporate level, it's got some big brands and the stuff you're doing in the workshop is fantastic. So what keeps you going on those days when you wake up and go, oh, couldn't be asked doing anything today? What keeps you motivated and keeps you, you driving towards your success? Um, well, that's a pretty tough one. Um, I'm not sure that I have those days where I wake up and go, oh, um, because I, I just really enjoy what I do for the most part. Yeah. Um, yeah, I suppose, yes, you do have those days, but it's fairly, it, to me, it's pretty mild because I go, oh, well, I mean, I'm sitting here in my office talking to you now and, I, and I, I just love the environment of my office. It's in some ways, it's kind of a dream for me because I, I'm sitting here in my studio that's surrounded by pens and pencils and bits of artwork and paper and stuff that I like and and stuff that I'm inspired by and bits of bits of lettering that are sort of sitting on the wall and you know there's a giant wooden sea for instance you know and it's in some ways I, I kind of always wanted one of those creative environments that's yeah. just kind of full of stuff full of stuff that I like and yeah. you know if I often look around at my office and I think if I was working in a corporate environment somewhere I probably wouldn't be able to have this level of kind of mess <laughs> and, you know, just, I don't know, let me, let me sort of pick up a few kind of implements. Here's a few kind of writing pens and here's a, you know, a coffee tray that I'd written something on the back of just to see kind of what, I think it actually says coffee, but if you look at it from a particular angle, I don't know if I can get that on screen oh, now yeah. or not, probably not, but if you look at it from a particular angle, it reads coffee, but the other angles it doesn't. And, and I've got like um you know ink pots and things that are sort of sitting there and with um, um glad wrap over them to stop them drying out and so uh, you know I just really like my environment and, yeah. and I just think that um I often look around and think I'm just really lucky to have you know managed to work myself into this position yeah lucky but also you know it's taken a long time and a lot of hard work and a lot of application yeah. 15 years perhaps yeah. um, from when I first years started to be an thinking overnight success. Yes, you <laughs> might say that. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, I, I don't think I really have those days. There's days where I'm feeling a bit unwell or whatever. Um, but I, you know, I don't know. I just think that if you're, if you're happy and you have a real sense of purpose, then you're probably less likely to be unwell. Yeah. And you're probably likely to do a better job because you're, you know, engaged in it. Yeah. So, you've obviously you know created some great level of success for yourself now and as you say it's taken 15 years to get here what do you wish you had known way back when like what would be the the two or three things you would have told yourself back then to help shortcut your, your success um two or three well one one thing that i wish that i had known is that it is possible um because i spent a long time thinking oh i don't know that's a bit of a pipe dream or I'm also spent a long time crystallising where I might sort of go. It's not something you just kind of think of overnight and go, oh, you know, I'd really love to do this. 
But when you do think of it, you, you kind of think, oh, I don't know. I don't know of anyone that does that. And is it possible? Or would there be enough money in it? And all of that kind of thing. If I was to go back in time and, and, and find my 15 years ago self, I would look myself in the eye and say, yes, it's possible. And it's more possible than you think. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I wish that I'd had um, is that because I'm in a field typeface design that's you know quite unusual and pretty rare here, here in Australia, there's doing it commercially, there's probably half a dozen people in, in the entire country, maybe not even that. Um, so it's hard to get training. and um, I've, So my kind of pathway has been very much self-taught. Um, and being self-taught means that there's been a lot of really big mistakes. Right. Now, mistakes are fantastic. You learn from them. Um, but I wish that I had the ability to have a mentor of some kind. Right. Um, I, I, I wish that, uh, and there really wasn't, uh, if there was anyone in Australia, they they weren't really accessible to me. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. So I, you know, I kind of nowadays I, I teach with my workshops, but I also um, teach at university as well. Uh, and um, I I just had the attitude that um, had somebody mentored me, you know, I'd probably um, I'd probably be in a similar position, but with more surety about what I do. I yeah. sometimes think that there's some gaps in my knowledge that mightn't be there had I been trained in the correct kind of way. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So what kind next? of training, incidentally, that you can get in um, Europe and the United States, but just not here in Australia. Right. I should say. Mm. So what's next for the Australian Type Foundry? What's next what what's next for Wayne Thompson? What 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 have you got plans coming up? Um, I don't have any great big plans. I don't have any world beating plans. Um I just really enjoy what I do and I hope to continue doing what I'm doing and just kind of get better at what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, I've really learned a lot over the last couple of years in particular about um, legibility in sans serif typefaces and I've been doing a lot of sans serif typefaces the last couple of years. Right. In fact, I'm right now I'm working on three or four really, really big projects that um, I'm not really at liberty to reveal right now, but they'll probably come out over the next probably six to 12 months. Um, really high profile sans serif kind of projects that will be um will have been a step up in quality for me um so what i would hope to do over the next five years is consolidate that uh and maybe within the next years take it an um, extra step up again ultimately i'd just like to be known and respected as someone who really knew their stuff um, and contributed something to the wider world of, of typography fantastic Thank you so much for your time today, Wayne. It's been an absolute joy speaking to you. If people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to get in touch with you and have a look at some of your work? Uh, it would probably be my website, um, atf.com.au. Uh, if someone really wants to get in touch with me, there's a, a contact form on the website. You can just email me. Um, on social media, on um, Instagram and Twitter, my handle is at WayneATF, ATF being for Australian Type Foundry. Fantastic. Thank you so much. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I look forward to having people again on the next episode of the Get More Success Show. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening to the Get More Success Show with Warwick Merry. Continue the conversation with other successful people over at getmoresuccess.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes as well as a link to our Facebook group that we'd love for you to join. GetMoreSuccess.com is also where you'll find all the information you need to connect with me, your host, Warwick Merry. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can get more success.